you can just read from the notes. I hope everybody has notes because we're going to go through a lot of scripture. So um, Exodus 26, and today we're going to continue talking about uh, shadows of Golgotha, pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. We started from um, Genesis, and we talked about Genesis 3.15, refreshing your memory here, when God told um, Eve that her seed, her, her, her son, Jesus, will bruise the head of the serpent. That's Genesis 3.15. And then we talked about Genesis 3.21, when God made the garment of skin, and he slaughtered an innocent animal to clothe sinful Adam and sinful Eve. Amen. And then we moved on to Noah. We talked about the ark and how the ark is a picture of the cross where the wrath of God falls onto the ark and the ark gives life to those who are safe inside the ark. Then we moved on to uh, Abraham, Genesis 22, when he told Isaac on Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And we say this is a prophecy about Mount Calvary when God will, will provide the ultimate lamb of God as a sacrifice. And then we move to the book of Exodus. We spent four weeks in Exodus chapter 12. We talked about the lamb of the Passover. That was a picture of Jesus dying on our behalf on the cross. And then we move to Exodus uh, 14, the crossover. And we said that's also a picture of the cross where you and I are the ones now dying on the cross with Jesus. Amen. And then we talked about the rock was Christ. That's Exodus 17. And then last week we started in the tabernacle of meeting, right? And that's where we're at. We're at the end of the uh, last few chapters in, in Exodus. And um, last week, um, if you have your notes, I want you to look at the tabernacle once again. It's that picture diagram on your left hand on the notes. So um, just to wrap up here, give you some background and move forward from there. So the door of the tabernacle is actually on the east side where you see the letter E. That's where the door is. And the tabernacle has how many doors? One door. There's only one way to get into God, and that's through Jesus. And once you get from the east side, um, from the one door that the tabernacle has, the very first piece of furniture you're going to see is called the altar of the burned offering or the brazen altar. And that's where... The Israelites, when they get into the, uh, the, the tabernacle, first thing they do is to offer the sacrifice to God. And that's what we talked about last week as a picture of the cross, Jesus dying on our behalf to provide the way for us to go in. Now, if you keep moving west, the second thing you see is a brazen laver. That's uh, a laver of bronze where you can put water in it and you just can wash your hand in it. And sometimes you wash your uh, feet. I can Don't quote me on this, but I think it's hands and feet. Yes, correct, hands and feet. And that's a picture of the word of God. You know, after you're getting saved by the blood of Jesus, then you have the word of God where you can cleanse yourself on a daily basis. And then you move on to the actual building. We keep going west, you guys, okay? Now we're going inside the building. We're leaving the yard. We're leaving the, the outside, and we're going inside. And there is two rooms. That building has two rooms. The, the first one, and then that first one take you to the second one. The first one called the holy place, and that's where the high, the, any priest can get into that room to serve and minister to God. And it has three pieces of furniture. From top to bottom, table of the showbread, altar of incense, and golden lampstack on the very bottom, right? And then you meet a big wall, the Bible called it the veil, and that's what we're going to talk about today. 
And that veil separates the two rooms from each other, separates the holy place from the very inner room, which the Bible called it the holy of holies. The holy of holies, the very inner room, has only one piece of furniture, and that's called the Ark of the Covenant. That's the one piece of furniture that is there. And the holy of holies, only the high priest get into that room once a year on the Day of Atonement to atone for the whole um, nation of Israel. Amen? So that's pretty much the diagram for the, the tabernacle. There is many chapters in the book of Exodus talking about the pieces of furniture and how you build each one of them. And these are very, very important for, for us to know as believers as well. <clears throat> but right now we're only focusing on pictures of the cross in that tabernacle. So we're not going to cover every piece. We're just looking at pictures of the cross that we cannot approach God except through the blood and the cross of Christ. So last week we spoke about the altar of the tabernacle. Today we're actually going to talk about the veil. That's the second picture. And where is the veil located? I want to make sure you guys follow me. Where is the veil? It's between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. So the veil is inside the actual building, okay? And it separates these two rooms together. And that's a picture of the cross of Christ. We're going to talk about that today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the last picture, this is as far as I know, uh, of the cross in the tabernacle, and that will be the mercy seat, which is the lid that covers the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. We'll talk about that next week, okay? Clear like mud? You follow me? All right. So today, we're going to talk about the veil. And again, where is that veil that separates the holy place where the priests can always go at any time? But you cannot cross that veil. Only one person, and that is the high priest, and only one day, once a year, where the high priest can cross that veil to go inside into the Holy of Holies. So let's read Exodus uh, 26, 31 to 33. You have a colored picture as well. So while we, as we read, I want to point a couple of things to the picture so you can visualize how that veil looks like, okay? Exodus 26, 31 to 33, and it's in your notes. If you don't have notes, let me know. I'll give you one. And thou shalt make a veil of blue. Okay. And scarlet, and fine twine linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall it be made. Okay, let's stop, let's stop here for a second because I want <clears throat> to make sure we understand it correctly. So this veil has four colors in it, correct? It has uh, blue, purple, scarlet, and the fine linen. I'm not sure if that's a white or just the whole thing is just twisted linen. But within it, it should be woven pictures of that cherubim, okay? And that's a kind of angels that we're going to talk about that in a second. But there has to be pictures of cherubim woven inside that curtain. It is not they, they, they make the cherubim and then they stick it on, on the veil. It has to be woven all together as one piece. It's not broken. It's not parts. It's just one piece all made together by a skilled worker. Amen? Amen. Verse 32. You can go ahead and keep reading, Sister Lynette. Yep. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Okay, so let's stop here. I'm not sure if you guys can see that in the picture, but 
under each one of these big pillars, there is a white area on the very bottom. I'm not sure if you can see it, but there is sockets in the bottom of each one of these pillars. These sockets are made of silver, and that's when these pillars actually set inside these sockets, okay? And these pillars are made of acacia wood. It's the same wood that the brazen altar was made of last, last week, if you remember. But it is covered with gold, right? If you remember, we said last week that the pieces of furniture outside the court, outside the building, is covered with bronze. Inside the building, everything is covered with gold. And we talked about that last week to say that for, for the outside world, when they look at Jesus and the things of God, they only see the bronze, nothing very appealing. But once you get into the holy place and the holy of holies, that's when you see the gold, the glory, and the majesty of Christ. Amen? So, um, you guys follow the picture so far? How is it made? And there is four hooks, apparently. Um, hang it with gold hooks on four posts. So, there's four posts, and you can hang that curtain with hooks. But these hooks is also covered with gold, or actually gold, host, uh, gold hooks. You guys follow me so far? Okay, let's go with verse uh, 33. Amen. Amen. So um, what, what God says here is behind that veil, you put the Ark of the Covenant. I'm reading, I think, in IV, same thing like New King James. It says the curtain shall separate between the holy place and the most holy place. So that veil is, is mainly as a separation, as a wall to separate these two rooms together. Okay? So you guys have an idea of how that veil looks like? It's a piece of beauty if you imagine how it looked like. Uh, gold and all these bright colors it's really beautiful and it has that shadow beam um, woven into it now the bible tells us clearly that this veil is a picture of actually jesus dying for us on the cross i'll read that verse in hebrews 10 19 to 20 this is what the author of hebrews said therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and then he said, verse 20, by a new and a living way opened for us through the curtain, that's the veil that we're talking about, that is what? His body. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is this, that just as, if you guys remember, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn, right? The Bible tells us that. It was torn in the middle of that veil from top to bottom, it was torn, and the way to the Holy of Holies was opened when Jesus breathed his last on the cross. You guys remember that incident? So, the author of Hebrews is telling us this. Just like the veil was torn to open the way for us to get into the most holy place, so is Jesus on the cross. His body was torn so we can have access to the most holy place into the Holy of Holies. Amen? So what the author of Hebrews is telling us this, is that veil in the tabernacle in the Old Testament is actually a picture of the torn body of Christ on the cross to open the way for us to go into heaven. So the veil is a picture of crucified Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, let's just highlight three things that this veil tells us or speaks to us about. Three things. Number one, it tells us or speaks to us about separation between a holy God and a sinful man. 
Number two, it talks to us about the wrath of God over sin. And number three, it talks to us or speaks to us about the torn body of Christ on the cross. Let's say these three points together so I just make sure you follow me. The veil speaks of, number one, separation between holy God and sinful man. Number two, wrath of God over sin. And number three, the torn body of Christ on the cross. Let's just highlight these three points. Number one, it speaks of separation between a holy God and sinful man. That's precisely what God told Moses in Exodus 26, 33. If you guys go back to that passage, the very last phrase we read is this. That curtain will do what? Separate the holy place from the most holy or the holy of holies. So the primary function of that veil is to, to do what? To separate. Separate who? The holy of holies. That's where God dwells from everybody else. You guys see that? That is the primary function of that veil to separate holy God from sinful man. And we read that through, about that throughout the scripture. So many other incidents in the Bible. We see that a holy God cannot come close to sinful man because of sin. God is too pure. God is too holy. And on the other hand, we're so sinful, we're so wicked. And there's absolutely no way that a holy God can ever come close to sinful man. Amen? There has to be a separation. Sin has separated us from God. That's what Isaiah said. Isaiah... Um, Actually, let me go back here. That um, Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. The way that, that uh, Holy of Holies was designed is a perfect cube. And it was 15 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet tall. That's the dimensions of the most holy place. 15 by 15 by 15. Now imagine a 15 foot tall curtain. That's a big curtain right there, right? It's 15 feet wide, 15 feet tall. This is a big, big separation, right? This is not just something you can try to sneak by. You cannot buy, pass by 15 by 15 feet, amen? The point is, why is it so huge like that? Because again, God is emphasizing the point, I am too holy and there is a massive separation between you and me because of sin, amen? And Isaiah told us that in Isaiah uh, 59 too. He says, but your iniquity have separated God from you, right? Have separated what? You from God. It is not that God wants to be separated from us. It is not that he enjoys it. It's we willingly choose to sin against God. And because of our sin, we willingly chose to be separated from a holy and a righteous God. Amen. And then Isaiah continues and says, And your sin have hidden your face, his face from you so that he will not hear you. God has hidden his face because of our sin. Obviously, that's a metaphor. The point is God can, cannot come close. God cannot be near sin because he's too pure and he's too holy. Amen. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is nearby, right? Is far from the wicked God is not nearby the wicked God is far from the wicked but he hears the prayer of the righteous why why is God far from the wicked but he's close to the righteous because he's a holy and a righteous God he cannot accommodate he cannot tolerate he cannot look at he cannot come close sin he's too pure to come close to sin amen 
if the veil will tell us a message, is the message is this. God is too pure and too holy and we are so separated from him by this massive, huge, gigantic wall. Amen? Now, that goes in the face of everybody who tried to think that you can't try to reach out to God through your good works. Well, guess what? You're separated from God. You can do all what you want, but there is a gap between you and him. And no good works can cross that gap. Amen? Right there, that separation tells you that there is no point of even thinking that good works can make you right with God. Because good works will never make you right with God. Amen? The only way for a holy and righteous God and sinful man to come together is that through that veil need to be torn and be done away with. If that veil, if that separation is always there, then it doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You're going to always be separated from God. Amen? So the veil speaks of separation. But not only that. The veil also speaks of judgment and God's wrath over sin. Where do we get that from? Exodus 26, 31. God said, you wove cherubim, cherubim, that's a kind of angels, woven into it by a skilled worker, right? So this picture that you guys have, you see that there is a picture of cherubim throughout that veil. Now, if you remember, we talked about that before, and we said that cherubim is a representation of what, if you remember, of the judgment of God. Where do we get that from? Genesis chapter 3. What happened? When God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, what did God do right after that? He brings a cherubim angel with a sword that is turning everywhere. And he makes that cherubim guard the entrance to that uh, garden so Adam and Eve can never go back, right? That's the very mention, the very first mention of cherubim in the scripture. So cherubim always speaks of God's judgment and God's wrath over sin. And that's precisely why God has a picture of cherubim woven inside that veil everywhere so people can know. You cannot come close because if you ever come close, you're going to be stricken dead because God is not just holy who cannot look at sin. God is also so righteous that if you come close to him and there is sin in you, you're going to be judged and you're going to die on that spot. Amen? Have you ever seen this sign, you know, high voltage and then the X sign, don't come close, high voltage? I think that's precisely the purpose of these cherubims on that veil. God is saying, don't come close if you have sin, because if you dare to come close to me and there is sin in your heart, you're going to be stricken dead. Amen? Amen? Some people look at that and say, oh, look at the harsh, unmerciful, bloodthirsty God. But you know what? I see that as a sign of the grace and mercy of God. You tell me how come? Ask me how come. And because he loves us so much so that he warned us not to do it. Because if he doesn't care about us, if he's a bloodthirsty God, he won't even care to put that sign on the door. And people can just fall into it and fall dead. Amen? But he cared enough about us to tell us, don't do it. I love you and I want you alive. But here is what you're going to, you're going to be dead if you ever do that. So please, please, please don't do it. Amen. This is a sign of a God that loves us and so gracious to us. Yet at the same time, he's so, he's so righteous and so just. He can never tolerate sin. He doesn't want nobody to die. That's why he put the warning sign on the door. Don't come close with sin. Amen. So that 
veil speaks of separation between God and man, between, uh, between man and God. It also speaks of um, the, the wrath of God over our sins. Amen? But number three, that veil also speaks of the torn body of Christ. Even before the author of Hebrews plainly told us that this veil represents the torn body of Christ, look at this. In Numbers 4, 5, now God is commanding Moses, and he's saying, And when the camp settles forward, setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. What is God commanding Moses here? He's saying, whenever you're about to move, you know, they were in the wilderness, right? And they were always in the move. So they will sit that tabernacle, but then eventually they might need to wrap it up and keep on going, right? So God said, whenever you're about to leave, you need to use that veil to cover, <coughs> to cover the Ark of the Covenant. That one piece that inside the Holy of Holies, the one place, the one piece that represents the presence and the glory of God. God said you need to use that veil to wrap it around that Ark of the Covenant, cover it with the Ark of the Covenant, and then you can carry the Ark of the Covenant covered everywhere you go afterward. Amen? Now think about that. This is amazing. I did not know that till yesterday when I was reading this verse. Think about that. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence and the glory of God. That's, that's, what, that's universal throughout the Old Testament. Amen? Now, think about that picture. The children of Israel on the move, and the presence and the glory of God. In, in, in essence, God himself is wrapped in a veil, walking with the children of Israel. Does that ring a bell to you or not? It does ring a bell. And who does it remind you of? Jesus, right? When he was walking with us, he was God wrapped up in a fleshly veil. Amen? And that, that Ark of the Covenant wrapped in the veil, walking with the children of Israel in the wilderness, is nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who eventually God himself came down, wrapped in a veil of a flesh of a human being, and we called him Jesus. Amen? When I was reading that verse, I just remembered the words of Charles Wesley when he wrote that wonderful hymn that we were just singing last week. Christ, the highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold, he come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Look at this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. Amen. I'm not sure if Charles Finney used that verse in Numbers to write that verse or it's just coincidental, but it's just right to the T. Godhead wrapped up in flesh walking among us. Amen? And if you don't buy this, the author of Hebrews tells us plainly that this veil is a representation of the body of Christ that was torn on the cross to open the way for us to go to heaven. Uh, Hebrews 10, 20. Here is, here is precisely what the author of Hebrews said about that way. He said that Jesus has opened the, whole, the, the way to the Holy of Holies by a new and a living way dedicated or inaugurated for us, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Amen? So, this is fascinating. This is just fascinating. I read this phrase that I'm going to share with you right now back when I was in college, and I still remember it, like almost... 20 years later, because it was so good, okay? And then yesterday I was reading, and I found this guy have the exact same point in his article here. Um, you can read it. It's uh, Mr. John McKee in The Theology of the Tabernacle, Part 4. 
But anyways, look at this. How is it that the veil is a representation of the body of Christ? Okay, listen to me. This is so good. So here is how it works. As long as the veil is intact, the veil actually serves as a hindrance into the presence of God, right? And when the veil is torn, now the way is open into the presence of God, right? Let me repeat that again. As long as the veil is intact, it doesn't serve as a way to see God. It serves as a hindrance, a separation to approach God, right? And it's only when the veil is cut, is torn, that's when the way is open to the heart of God. How is that a picture of the body of Christ? How is that a picture of Jesus being fully human walking among us? Look at this. When Jesus was intact, when he was alive, when he was just walking our earth, actually he was a hindrance for us to come close to God. How do you say that? Because when he walked on earth, he walked a perfect, sinless life. He never committed a sin, not a single one. Amen? He was able to keep the law of God every single one of his commandments, right? And in a way, Jesus has shown us, do you want to reach God on your own? It is simple. You just have to be as perfect as I am. Amen? And it's impossible for us to be as perfect and as sinless as Jesus is, right? So as long as Jesus was alive and he's walking our earth, his sinless, perfect life was, the, was actually a hindering block for us because he set up the standards for us to approach God and nobody can match up to that. Amen? But that very living Christ, the living body of Christ, when he was torn on the cross, he opened, as the, the, he opened the way for us to come into the Holy of Holies and approach a holy and righteous God. Amen? Amen. Isn't that just wonderful picture of Jesus, that veil, right? When it's intact, it sets the bar way high. Nobody can match up. And once it's torn, now everybody that's most sinful of all still can approach a holy and a righteous God. Amen? So how does that way look like? The author of Hebrews gives us three descriptions of that way. Number one, it's a new way, right? He said, by a new and a living way opened for us through the curtain. The Greek here has dedicated or consecrated for us through the curtain. So number one, it's a, a new way. Number two, it's a living way. And number three, it's a consecrated way. A new way. Now, the author of Hebrews used the word new five times in the book of Hebrews. Four times he used a word called, um, let me see here, kenos. Kenos means new. Except here, in, in Hebrews 10.20, he used a different word to, to emphasize the word new. And the word he used here is prosphetos, literally means freshly slain, just, was just murdered, just slain, just killed. The idea here is being fresh, is being new in comparison to that is old and that is corrupt, amen? And it seems like the author of Hebrews here is doing a word play because he says that way is freshly slain, yet it is still living, right? It seems like he deliberately chose these words to mess with us a little bit, right? But the word idea again means to be brand new, something fresh, just, you know, like when you go to the butcher and he say, this is brand new, just butchered right out fresh, you know, compared to everything else that has been hanging out for a long while. Amen? So the idea here is still new, but it seems like there is a word play. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. Jesus has opened a brand new way for us. In an essence that this way would have been impossible for us to approach God. 
But that way has only been made possible when Jesus died on the cross. It's brand new category. It's brand new approach to God that could have never ever been ever made possible except through the turn of the body of Christ on the cross. Amen? And that's precisely what the author of Hebrews has been saying throughout the book. That this way, that new way, is not like the old way. It's not through rituals and sacrifices and you have to apply the blood in certain ways. It's a brand new approach to a holy and a righteous God through the blood of Jesus. And that could have never happened if Jesus did not die for us on the cross. Amen? So it's a new way. But number two, it's a living way. Why is it living? Because the way now is not rituals and it's not certain ceremonies that you have to do. The way now into the very of holy of holies is a person. And his name is Jesus who said, I am the way. That's why it's a living way. Because the way now is a person, not rituals and not sermons like, uh, ceremonies like the Old Testament. Amen? But number three, it's also a consecrated way. The, the, the Hebrews go, the, the Greek goes like this. It's a living way. It's a, it's a new and a living way which Jesus has consecrated, which Jesus has inaugurated for us. He has dedicated that way for us. How? By the tearing of his flesh on the cross. I forgot to put the verse here, but I think it's in Hebrews 9. It says that, I think it's 9. It says that Jesus was the forerunner, the very first one who entered into the Holy of Holies, not by, his, by the blood of other animals, but by his own blood. He entered in as a forerunner for us. Amen? Like Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies with his own blood, and he was number one. And when he did that, he dedicated, he opened up that way for every single sinful sinner after that to go in in the same manner that he himself has entered in. Amen? It's a dedicated way, and it was dedicated through the very torn of Jesus' body on the cross. Amen? Amen. Now, I was thinking about that. If you get a, a knife and you get a slice in your hand or you get a cut in your hand or something, that hurts a lot, right? That hurts bad, right? Can you imagine your body literally being torn? Like you're literally physically being torn, just like the veil. When it was torn from top to bottom, so is the body of Christ was torn on the cross. Amen? What I'm trying to say is this. In order for Jesus to open the way for us to the very holy of holies, this was not something cheap. This was not something easy. Jesus literally had his flesh torn on the cross for us so he can open the way for us to get into heaven, to the holy of holies, and have a relationship with God. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let me close with this. If you're here today and you think you're still trying to reach out to God through your good works and you're trying to be sincere, you're trying to get to God through your efforts, you're even here at church because you're trying to please God. Well, I have some bad news for you. All your works, all your effort, all your sincerity, much appreciated by God, it will get you no way, nowhere. You know why? Because there is a wall of separation between a holy God and a sinful man, and that wall needs to be taken care of. God, in essence, doesn't see what you do because he's behind that wall, and you're on the other side of the wall. He doesn't see what you're trying to do. Amen? 
this wall needs to be taken care of. That, that separation between holy God and sinful man need to be removed. And that took place in one place and one place only. And that is on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, he removed that wall of separation between a holy God and a righteous man and, and a sinful man. And he reconciled us with God. Amen? You want to still meet God? You want to still enter into the Holy of Holies? There is no way into the Holy of Holies apart from the cross of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, if you're here today and you know that you're saved, I want to encourage you to go out and tell somebody that it doesn't matter how hard they try. It's only through the cross that they can be made right with God. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.